Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. I'm Melanie Bancroft, Business Development Manager here at Erwin Mitchell. I'll be your host today as we discuss mentoring and the benefits it brings. To do so, I'm delighted to be joined by five people who are all involved in mentoring. We have Joe Mayer, Principal and Chief Exec at Loughborough College, Henry Birch, Coach Developer at England Rugby, James Selker, CEO of Manufacturing Technologies Association, Kate Ferguson, Head of Responsible Business at Erwin Mitchell, and Jerry Arrowsmith, Employment Partner and Head of Education at Erwin Mitchell. Welcome, everybody. So, due to many factors, including Brexit and COVID-19, how we work has and continues to change. For those in the early stages of their career, considering a career change or still in education and considering what skills and courses they need for the future, much can be gained through mentorship. This podcast discusses what can be learned around the world of mentoring, drawing from experiences in sport, manufacturing and education, what works well, what is common across all these areas and what needs to happen to make a programme such as this succeed. So, Kate, I'm going to come to you first, actually, um, just to set a little bit of the scene. Um, so I guess the starting question should be, why should, why should we mentor? Kate, can you just give us a little bit of a brief answer and, and then we'll invite any other comments from people? Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. So from my perspective, mentoring is and can be mutually beneficial. I suppose I have learned as much from being a mentor as I have from being a mentee. And I know that some of the biggest decisions that I've made in my career have, you know, been made with the benefit of having a mentor and someone there who can guide you and give you the benefit of their experience to help you find your own solution and to, you know, help you make the best decision that, that you can. From a responsible business perspective and thinking particularly around the work that I'm doing at Owen Mitchell, I think there are a couple of really key motivations for mentoring. Firstly, I think it's about the commitment that we make to our colleagues, to our people, and that's about creating an inclusive workplace where we aim to ensure that all of our colleagues have the opportunity to reach their potential. And I think, you know, it's recognising that mentoring can be really powerful and, and really help them to do that. And I also think that in a workplace context, um, you know, however you come to mentoring, whether that's an internal program or an external program, having that benefit from, you know, other people's perspectives, you know, that, that diversity of thought that you can access through mentoring is, is so important. And I think more often than not, we realise that mentoring, whether it was intentional or not, um, becomes reciprocal. You know, we, we both get a benefit from, you know, from, from mentoring, whether a mentor or, or a mentee. And, and finally, um, you know, in response to, to your question, Melanie, I would say that as part of our community investment work um, at Owen Mitchell and our commitment to being a responsible business, we recognise that our people's skills, our people's experience is, is one of the most powerful things that we have to offer through our volunteering programme. So when we ask our people to, um, to volunteer their time, you know, we know it's the right thing to do, but we also know that when they are mentoring others, they've got the opportunity and the potential to make such a huge impact. So, you know, it's about, you know, doing the right thing as, as well as kind of recognising the benefits. Lovely. Thank you, Kate. Um, Joe, just picking up on something that Kate said, actually, about um, potential and um, Loughborough College offers such a wide range of courses, both in terms of subjects covered and also levels of qualification. So I'm assuming that your student profile is, is pretty wide. And education, we know, plays such an important part in the development of our future and existing workforce. So can you give us and the listeners an overview of what mentoring is in place at Loughborough College and perhaps how that differs depending on who, who is being mentored? Thank you. Yeah, of course. And our, because of the nature of our student portfolio, as you rightly say, we could have an apprentice with us who's working in industry, working with a business, 
as a trainee, so gets that one-to-one coaching and support through the apprenticeship pathway, or it could be a class of 28 level three engineering students that have all come from different schools that have got to come together as a group. So the, the teaching skills and the pedagogical aspect of the professional role of being a teacher, that changes. So we have teachers, we have trainers, we have assessors. So that's why we need an individualized approach to mentoring. So we have a model in place where we take new or neophyte practitioners and they get one-to-one access to mentoring. And then we have a coaching model for our experienced practitioners where we can look at their personality traits, take a real strengths-based approach to ensuring that we're able to adapt our teaching style to the relevant individual. And for us, it goes back to, you know, Kate touched on it, it's that notion of high performance. Teaching and learning, you are, whether you're looking at the world of sport, whether you're in the classroom or whether you're in business in a legal firm such as Irwin and Mitchell, if you're performing in front of people to deliver an outcome, There's a skill and a personality trait that needs to go into that to create a motivational climate to operate in. So for us, it's about ensuring that we look at the whole person. It's not just I've done my teaching qualification and I've got all this content in my head and I've got to go and deliver it. The way you deliver a lesson on a Monday morning, sometimes in teaching and learning, you do the same, you know, the same subject to four different groups. The ability to adapt to the changing situation of the dynamics of your group, the different levels within the group requires you to understand yourself really well. And that's something that our expert mentors develop within our mentees. And we also sign up to the code of ethics to make sure it's real clarity within that relationship. And we're setting boundaries and and working with our staff in a way that gets the very best out of them. Lovely. Thank you, Joe. That's um, that's a really comprehensive overview. And and I'm not surprised, but it's really interesting to learn what is going on. I I knew Loughborough College would be doing good stuff. That's for sure. James, over to you now. Um, you you wear quite a few hats. So as well as being the CEO of the MTA, you've also got a wealth of experience in manufacturing businesses and even through your involvement with the Army Cadets. So lots, lots going on in your life. But focusing on manufacturing just for the moment, although you may well choose to bring in something about the Army, I don't know. Can you give us an example of how a business has benefited from mentoring as well as the, as well as the individual being mentored? And Joe touched on this as well. It's very much a, a partnership and Kate as well. So hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking me to contribute to this really underexposed subject. Obviously, coming from manufacturing, apprenticeships that Kate's mentioned before, and also Joe mentioned. You know what? What are we talking about here? You know, it's very hard to find the balance because some companies do it really, really well, and some companies, I think, fall short. We get the usual um, normal distribution. But the, the, the thing that Kate mentioned about the two-way relationship in manufacturing, that's really coming to the fore now because the young engineers coming into the industry have all got base digital skills that often some of the more experienced members of the industry uh, don't naturally possess. And I think that that is massively useful because it reminds us that it's a two-way street. And somebody looking at a problem from a completely unadulterated set of eyes that they haven't been steeped in, this is the way we do it as a company, so that's the way we're always going to do it, is really powerful. And I'm really glad that that's come out so early because I have a friend who mentors people, uh, young, young, bright people, and he said, I will double your salary in two years, wherever you're working, and you give me some good ideas about what I do. And he's been doing that for 20 years and he's never failed to succeed in his promise. So that's that's very useful. And if you want an example, a very poor example, perhaps would be me. 
a bit like Kate. I thought it'd be better if I was authentic because I was really lucky to have uh, a good set of mentors. And I ended up running a company overseas at the age of 25. And I certainly couldn't have done that without amazing support that I was lucky enough to have. Wow, I didn't know that, James, actually. So um, I've definitely learned something today. And I'm not surprised you needed some support. That's pretty impressive to do. So th thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate that. Henry, hi. Um, you're involved in the Erwin Mitchell Mentoring Scheme at England Rugby, which was launched in, launched in September 2021 after a very comprehensive period of development, not least due to COVID. Thanks, COVID. We at Erwin Mitchell are absolutely delighted that this is, has finally launched and the, and the partnership we've got with England Rugby is just going from strength to strength. So for our listeners, can you give us an overview of that programme, please? Yes, of course. And um, to echo kind of what Jane said, thanks for having me on. Um, it's great to be able to get on here and um, sort of, yeah, continue the partnership, which is going well between obviously Owen Mitchell and England Rugby. I guess my involvement has been probably across two different areas. So firstly, the sort of Owen Mitchell Mentoring Club which is a Facebook group full up with sort of over sort of 400 active mentors in there that are out there doing their bit in rugby clubs and sort of supporting coaches, referees, volunteers, even young players as well to sort of reach their potential, given the skills that they need to sort of help rugby clubs flourish, I guess. So that's been a great part of that. And then linking into that, what we've launched is obviously the England Rugby Mentoring Award course, which is obviously supported by Owen Mitchell which sort of trains people once again, to give them those skills that they need to give back to the game again, I guess. So, it sort of goes alongside people throughout a rugby season. They'll be in there and they're sort of just looking to support people within that. So it's sort of a combination of online training, from a face-to-face -face day at the start. They fill out a portfolio and sort of keep their reflections in there. So, yeah, my involvement in those two areas has been great. And, um, yeah, we've definitely seen some benefits and the game's growing on the back of it. Oh, that's great to hear, Henry. Obviously, you know, during COVID, we know that the clubs did struggle quite a bit, obviously, with, well, as we all did with isolation and, and lockdowns, etc. So we are, as I say, really delighted that the programme's up and running and we're able to work with England Rugby to invest in that. And, you know, although rugby is a professional game, it's safe to say that not all the mentors, possibly most of them, are not solely employed by their club. So I'm sure that the skills they're learning as rugby mentors can benefit them in their in their day jobs as well. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say all, if not most of them, are all uh, volunteers. So they're giving back to the game in their free time. They'll, they'll have their own sort of day jobs or a full-time job that they're doing. And they're doing this as a hobby, I guess. So the skills that they're going to take from the course and the club are definitely going to support what they're doing day to day, just around simple stuff like listening and questioning skills, how they build rapport with people, how they set goals. And you know, th those are key things that can easily be transferred across not only what they're doing with the, the kind of the mentoring programme, but also, as you say, going back to what they'll be doing for their, their full-time role as well. So, yeah, there's there's benefits to both. Yeah, definitely. And that's certainly what, you know, the the, the makeup of all you guys here on the panel today, you know, just shows that that breadth um, and the, the commonalities, really. Joe, did you want to come in with something there? Yeah, and I think for me, you know, and Henry's described it so eloquently, and in the world of sport, you are programmed, if you like, as a youngster to to learn skills, and then you're coached constantly and just really understanding that difference between coaching and mentoring is something that when you come through the world of sport, it takes it takes a real cognitive shift to be able to sit back and empower people to 
think for themselves and to do it for themselves because it's so easy when you're on the training pitch to say to an athlete you do it like this and you demonstrate it and you practice and you and you, and you have those kind of soft failures but you know that the shift that this program I think is really unique and I think it's a fantastic partnership between Ermin Mitchell and England Rugby is ensuring that mentoring is seen as a discipline on its own and empowering people with those skills that when they finish their professional careers or they go into coach development work or working for the governing body they are transferable and they're going to take those into other parts of industry and I think there's a huge value in that. Absolutely agree yeah definitely and and interesting Kate just coming to you now with your your business hat on I suppose we've talked and it's almost the opposite really isn't it with the, the rugby being face-to-face and increasing in, in face-to-face interaction and business we're certainly seeing a reduction in face-to-face working I mean it was almost well pretty much zero wasn't it for a while certainly at Owen Mitchell and then there's a lovely hybrid model that's coming into place which is, seems to be working very well. So so we've seen such a change in the way we work, leading to much less interaction of face-to-face business. And I am talking about a business here. So what, in your view, has been the main adjustments people have had to make in their mentoring style and approach in order for it to be successful? Thanks, Melanie. And, and I think the first thing to say is that the changes that we've seen over the last couple of years in, in terms of the way that we work, from my perspective, I think that has just increased the need for mentoring and has shown how important mentoring is. And And I think many people miss the sort of impromptu conversations and, and the sort of more informal mentoring that, that happens in, in offices and workplaces. And, and I think that's particularly important for more junior team members and, and for new starters. And we just don't get the same exposure to, to that at the moment. So I think as mentors, we have to be a bit more innovative. We have to find new ways of sharing knowledge and and information and and experience within teams and and more broadly within mentoring relationships. And I think probably most importantly, we need to prioritise the time that we set aside for mentoring. And we have to really, you know, be committed to to making that work and and to listening to our our mentees because, you know, mentoring is fundamentally based on trust. And and I think it's harder or it seems, at least it seems harder to to develop relationships with people in in a virtual format. You know, we we miss some of that face-to-face contact. So I think really prioritising those sessions and taking the time to get to know your mentee, um, you know, at the start of the relationship is is just so hard. And I think the other thing to mention is that, you know, for most of us, it's it's been a bit of a learning curve over the last couple of years in terms of our communication skills and and adapting our communication skills to a new way of working. And, And I think you know, mentoring gives you a safe space to to practice those skills and, and, and to develop those skills. And I think for mentors, it's really important that we recognise that mentees, you know, everybody's different, aren't they? Not everybody will feel as comfortable or as confident opening up in a virtual format. So I think it's, you know, also having that patience and, and yeah, taking the time, developing the relationship and, and making sure that you've, you've got the fundamentals in place at the beginning. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and certainly from my experience as part of a national business development team, I've certainly seen my team members more on screen, actually, than than before when we, you know, it was a massive kind of diary logistic exercise to get all together. And now we, you know, we speak almost every day, which is great, but it doesn't take away that face-to-face sitting down and really getting under the skin of you know what's going on so yeah it's it's definitely a hybrid thing isn't it um i think going on definitely a a really good skill set that's coming out so jenny hello from an employment law perspective what does an organization need to consider when establishing and running a mentoring program well just before i come on to that it was really nice that you said that word safe space kate because that's exactly where where i come from in terms of the employment perspective as well so 
obviously we've seen a huge shift over the last two years. We're talking to a lot of our clients about now working within this hybrid environment. So there's some concerns about not having a two-tier workforce. By that, I mean those that work in and those that work outside and really trying to bring that inclusion so that everybody's got the connection wherever they're choosing to work and more and more people are working agilely. So that really is important. I agree fully with what you've just said there. And I agree fully with the fact that mentoring does create that safe space just to discuss some concerns, keep keep the dialogue going wherever you are working and whichever teams you're working. And, and Melanie, I, I share what you say as well, that what we have seen is people working in bigger teams and therefore there's more opportunity for growth and development. But there's no reason why the lack of face-to-face needs to be a barrier to making mentoring work. In fact, I think it creates a bigger opportunity, really. So in terms of taking that as, a, as, as, as one point. In terms of employment law, well, there's no legal requirement to provide mentoring or training for professional development, that, that said, but it's absolutely critical as part of good employment law practice. Why? Because you've got duties to your employees to look after them. You want to retain them. You want to attract them. You want to engage them and you want to get the most out of your people, don't you? And we've discussed how that really has a part to play here. So the idea is that you will help through mentoring employees to grow, to thrive in their productivity. And there's lots of statistics to show that. And really important as well to build effective working relationships. And when that's all working well, your employment law risks are really mitigated. And what I mean by that is our professional lives aren't linear, are they? There's always going to be different pathways and obstacles that come our way. Um, You meet different people, you work with different people and people. The nice thing about people is we're all different. We've all got different approaches. But in the world of employment law, that causes issues too. So, you know, if you take the example of an employee working with a manager, perhaps they don't align in their approach. We often see that come out in the form of grievances. Now, that might not be a conduct issue on the part of the manager. They might have just progressed into a role because technically they're the best person to be leading that team. But on the soft skills side, maybe they need a bit of support and nurturing. And you've got to do that in a way that isn't punitive to them, but supportive of them. So mentoring has a place there as well in terms of developing their own leadership. And if you can get that right, not only does that build the good relationships with their employees, their line reports, but it really helps them thrive again in that in in that role that they're leading not not least it reduces conflict so 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 that has to be a good thing doesn't it and then you've got things like if somebody is in a role and they're feeling frustrated because they want to progress they want to grow but they don't know how they don't know how to ask or maybe their line manager isn't listening um, because they're not open-minded themselves that's where you start to see people disengage which can impact on their performance or they could resign and go elsewhere and there's lots lots of link here to the number of people that would leave one organisation to go to another to seek out those opportunities. And that's absolutely what we want to seek to avoid. And interestingly, at the moment, one big trend we're seeing in the world of HR is exactly that, that people for, for a whole host of reasons are very willing to take to say I'm not working here anymore and I'm going elsewhere it's definitely there's there's more vacancies that can be filled that that's quite clear um from all the conversations we're having in all the sectors now if you want to address that the key thing is getting this bit right so once you've attracted people to start working with you really nurturing that relationships mentoring isn't just about on onboarding mentors and I've seen I've seen a lot of onboarding mentorships but this is taking it one step beyond and really throughout that employment relationship. And it's a win-win because the employee's happy, the employee thrives, you get the benefit of, of them from an employee's perspective, the turnover of employees reduces. And just a couple of other observations, you know, if an employee is happy in the workplace, not only is there likely to be less 
disputes and conflict, but they're going to be more productive. But their well-being in the workplace will be better. And we all know that well-being is a massive issue at the moment. And the other big thing within the world of HR is getting diversity and inclusion right. And this has a part to play there as well. So if you can do mentoring to to really embrace a diverse workforce, mentoring has been shown to increase representation and board for women, for example, and also of, of, of ethnic minorities, just to choose a couple of examples. So it's all about inclusion. And so I've mentioned about hybrid work and the diversity and also just the whole the whole spectrum of the employee relationship. Kate, did you have a want to chip in here? Yeah, just to pick up on a couple of points that, that Jenny made there that I think are hugely important, really, in terms of inclusion and, and also accessibility. And I think, you know, to give you an example, because of the pandemic and you know changes the way that we work over the last couple of years we've we've looked to to move some of our schools mentoring programs into a, a you know a more virtual format and actually i think that you know that can encourage more people to to volunteer because it is accessible people can can do the mentoring at different times of day you know there might be less of a travel commitment so in terms of reaching more people and also i think reaching more beneficiaries in in schools in different locations that you know before might have relied on us as doing a face-to-face program i think there's you know there are some benefits that have come out of the changes you know in terms of inclusion and accessibility so you know i, I definitely think you know there are benefits to face-to-face as well but it's it's building on you know those those things that we might not have tried if you know if the pandemic hadn't happened and taking some positives I think. Always look for the positives don't we definitely. (laughs) It it, It was interesting actually a fact I learned about last week, which James, you might have heard this as well, actually. It, um, I found heard that um, Amazon, and it's on the recent National Apprenticeship Week that's recently happened. So Amazon have placed, I think it's 20 apprentices at the Manufacturing Technology Centre down in Coventry, which is, you know, happens, definitely. And they want to increase that to 110 next year. But what is really interesting and really caught my eye on this was that these are people who have typically been at Amazon for four to five years. So they're in there the wind the company the culture they know they're a great fit and they're recognizing the talent and the skills that those people have got to bring and you know really equipping them so I know we're going slightly off mentoring but they're really you know they'll have that program in place and that was really heartwarming to see because we do hear a lot about you know the the typical age of apprenticeships and things but knowing that's all the way through and Joe I know you've touched on this as well at you know at Loughborough College it's, it's just all the way through isn't it Henry are you seeing that? Yeah, it was just something that you raised there, Melanie, I thought was really interesting around how they've got people with some experience already and they're trying to get those into sort of mentoring roles. And that's definitely something that I've seen from where I've sat with the what the mentoring award course around people that have already got great skills, might not necessarily perceive themselves to be a mentor, but just being able to share some of the qualities that they've got and be able to, you know, try and help other people because essentially that's what mentoring is, isn't it? Trying to make other people better. So I guess that the point I'd endorse is like even if you don't perceive yourself as someone who would be a mentor as such, just the qualities and stuff that you have would easily be transferred into, you know, helping other people, especially young people where we're sort of targeting, you know, 14 to sort of 24 year olds, I guess. So that's sort of the top end of teenagers into sort of when people become adults, I guess. And there's definitely some work that can be done around that. So, yeah, I just would endorse that point. Not all. Thanks, Henry. Thank you. James, did you want to come in? Just very quickly, you mentioned before that I have a, I'm very lucky to have a, a link to the Army Cadets. The Army in general have a saying when they're talking about leadership development, and they say serve to lead. So you always look after your team before you look after yourself. It's just drilled through them. And I think that, that we can all 
know that the army have deservedly an amazing reputation for selecting and developing their leaders. The cadets, being a volunteer organisation, is no different in the way that as soon as they get past their first star as 13-year-olds, they're already starting to teach the next generation and taught those soft leadership skills that are so vital. And you'd have thought the army cadets would struggle to attract females because of its nature. Absolutely not. In fact, the, the, the cadets that I'm connect, uh, connected with have approaching 50% female, which is amazing. And I think it's over 50% of them do the STEM subjects, such as uh, signals and communication. So it's a, it's a really hidden organisation made up of people who are willing to go out themselves voluntarily uh, twice a week, parade, uh, get wet, and do all the amazing stuff that they do. And aren't these the sort of people that you want to employ? Because when you look at mentorship, mentorship is no good if you've got somebody who just simply doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to improve. I mean, we used to call it boring water on a stone. And therefore, there has to be a degree of trying to match up the mentor and the mentoree so that that chemistry works, so that you get that maximum performance improvement all around. Anyway, I'll shut up now. No, no, please, please don't, James. It's, it's, it's invaluable and actually leads me on to my, my next question, really, which I was going to come to you anyway. So let's just continue talking. Um, so you, you touched on there about, you know, wanting uh, you can't pouring water on a stone and you can't kind of um, make people learn, I suppose, and be better. But and it is about that pairing up, isn't it? And, and skills from both sides. So, James, and then I will come come to each of you actually as well so about the skills and qualities it needs to be a mentor so what would you say makes a good mentor what what skill well apart from the obvious ones of the listening and empathy which have been well covered in this excellent podcast i would say impresario i think that when you spot talent that spark in the eye particularly if they've been overlooked by a system you know sometimes uh, again if i may go back to cadets but it has a massive direct read across to manufacturing. I've seen, I've asked somebody, I said, why are you doing so well in cadets and you're failing at school? I've used those quite those words, but you get the point. And they said, oh, that's very simple. Every week I get told how well I'm doing in cadets. And it takes school a year to tell me that I'm failing. And I think there's a, there's a real lesson in that, in how sometimes, even with the best one in the world, when we try and over-systemize, uh, as Jane was saying, at the end of the day, we're all individuals. And where we can create that space where people have the time to be able to be match up and to spot the talent themselves, it tends to work really well. And, you know, every, every organisation is reliant on intellectual property generation. And if you haven't got happy people, you're just not going to be anywhere near Thank you. Thank you. Joe, let's let's bring you in in, in response with well, a link to education, but also what, what qualities you think makes a good mentor. Yeah, and, and I, I couldn't agree more with what, what James said. And I think for me, it, it's about to empower that difference. It's about ego management. We've all got egos. The reason we've got an ego is, you know, we're all sat here professionally dressed and, you know, making an effort and not kind of in your pyjamas and not bothered. So your ego is great because it makes you professional, it makes you perform. But if you don't take a moment to understand your blind spots and your unconscious biases and that ability to like people that are like you, you won't embrace the difference. And I think with mentoring, 
the best, the difference between those mentors that understand the difference between listening, hearing and understanding, take that step back, helicopter up and embrace that difference. And they challenge that in a way where that could be uncomfortable because you could be mentoring someone that is so different to you. But that's, I think, for me, how you embrace the, the strength of that relationship. Thank you. Henry, coming to you next. What's one of your skills or qualities to make a good mentor? Yeah, great. I think like a lot of it's been said and I've sort of once again echo what's been what's been added there. I think there's been some fantastic points. But I think often the people that are mentoring probably came across it because they've either been involved in some sort of informal mentorship or just been helping somebody having conversations and realised actually, you know, I'm you know, I'm A, I'm quite a good listener maybe, or I'm quite good at asking questions or challenging other people. And I think often, you know, those informal kind of approaches are where people start. So I guess I would just encourage people, if you haven't already been involved in a, a mentorship or you're not sure if you have been or not because it's been so informal, I would encourage you to just to um, keep asking questions, be curious and try and, you know, see what you can do to make yourself as sort of successful as you can be, but also try and help others too. So yeah, that'd be the part I'd add. Thank you. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you, you've got to enjoy it being a mentor, haven't you? It's it's not a chore. This is an absolute pleasure. So Jenny, popping on to you. I've written down no self-interest. So that comes back down to the ego point. Listening, being open-minded and having belief in people, really. So that optimism to see the potential and help help listen and pick out that potential and then help them develop that. So growth mindset, really. And trying to point out the positives all the time and that potential. So linking back to what James was saying in terms of the constant reassurance and recognition for the things that are going well. So I think that's what I would add. Thank you. I, I was going to say that I think quite, you know, I think the points have probably already been been made that I was going to cover. But I, I think, you know, something that has come up in our conversation already is is that ability to be able to take a step back, really, and, and to be patient and to understand that your role as a mentor is is to get the mentee into a place where they can make the best possible decision for themselves and, and find the solution themselves. It's not about you making the decision for them. And I think, you know, sometimes you do have to be patient and, and accept that, you know, the decision that they make might not necessarily be what you would want for them or, or that, you know, the decision that you would make personally, but it's it's about them, you know, being empowered to, to do that themselves. And I think sometimes it is, you know, it's stepping back and, and kind of, you know, being patient and, um, yeah, supporting them with whatever decision they make. To conclude then, let's just run through um, and I'll come to each of you in turn. If just one key point you'd like listeners to take away from them today's podcast, what would it be? Joe, I'll come to you first. That mentoring is a tool that can unlock high performance and it's something you should really think about in a positive and open-minded way. Perfect. Henry? Yeah, I'll just be encouraging as many people to get involved in a mentor, mental relationship as possible, really, whether that's you actually seeking a mentor yourself or even, you know, like getting involved in um, being a mentor, I guess, and helping other people. So whether that is um, at a rugby club from where we stand, we're trying to get like sort of one mentor at every single rugby club across the country. So if you've got, um, you know, just a slight involvement in rugby or you think you can help, then yeah, I definitely would encourage you to get involved in the the mentoring club and obviously get yourself an award course as well. Thank you. James, over to you. Very simple. Move it up your priority list for all the reasons that we mentioned. That's it, simple as that. 
Love it. Thank you. Kate? I was actually going to say something very similar to James around, you know, making sure that this is a commitment and, and yeah, you don't you don't let it fall down the priority list. I to- totally echo what James has said. But I think from my perspective, what's worked really well is is setting some goals at the start of the relationship and, and making sure you've got some framework and structure in place. And I think that, you know, that can make a real difference when people, you know, have very busy jobs and lives. And last but no, by no means least, Jenny. I would say from an employment law perspective, an employer perspective, don't just see this as a nice thing to do for your colleagues. It's actually business critical to attract and retain and engage and get the best out of your people. So very on a par, really, with what James and Kate were saying. But yeah, it's not nice. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's business critical that you do it. Thank you. And that's it for today. I'd like to thank all of you for contributing to this podcast so very well. And I think the range of topics that we've covered during it has um, has been really really interesting and to you the listener thanks for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast and if you found it interesting then please join us for our next episode thank you